we come now before the very Word of God. If you'd like to read along with me, we'll be in uh, 1 John. It, uh, as far as we can tell, we'll be this way for the foreseeable future, so we'll be again here in 1 John. But before we read, uh, would you please pray with me? Lord, we know that your, your Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And by your light, the nations will walk. So, Lord, as we sit before, under these things, would you open our eyes to see? Help us to see what is true about you, about us, and to follow wherever you may lead. By your Holy Spirit, would you cause us to see and to believe? And we ask this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. This is 1 John uh, in chapter 1. I want us to take up again this first set of verses. So, 1 John chapter 1 will begin in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is the word of God. Now, today we'll be leaning into a particular part of the opening of John's letter here. John only refers to this particular thing here in the introduction, but this sets the tone and trajectory for the whole rest of the, of the letter. We'll be focusing here on the idea of koinonia. Koinonia. If you don't know what that is, that's because that's the Greek word for it and not the English. And I, and I mentioned the Greek word not because you need to know Greek to understand the Bible. You don't. But I mention that in the Greek because the Greek is becoming an increasingly common word used in English. Used by churches, used by as the names of various organizations. So I want you to at least be familiar with it uh, to hear it here. If you haven't heard or noticed that word before, now that I've said it to you, 
you will probably notice it in various places pop up. And we're going to talk about what exactly koinonia is in just a moment. But first, let me remind us where we are in this text. John, the writer, tends to begin at the beginning, which I've heard is a very good place to start. In the opening of of John's Gospel of Jesus, he begins in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, he says. And so now here again, we hear something similar in the opening of his letter. In uh, that which was from the beginning. That he's talking here about Jesus, the eternal life who was from the beginning. And then from the beginning, out of all eternity, in the course of time, then Jesus was made manifest. That is, that the Son of God appeared visibly, came to earth as a true man in the flesh. And and John says, during that time that he was here, we saw him, we heard him, we, we examined him, we touched him, and now we proclaim him. That's the point in writing. He, he sent this letter out widely to the churches as a traveling testimony to the truth of Jesus. And part of John's ultimate goal in sending out this letter is to give us Christian confidence that we would really know and be confident that Jesus is true that we have the very truth of Jesus but confidence is not the only thing that John is after here there's at least one other goal in his writing which he tells us in verse 4 we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He's writing for joy. The Bible is not trying to make us dreary, weary people. That happens sometimes. There's a place for hard things, sad things, but the Bible, in its overarching uh, stretch of things, wants to increase our happiness that we would have joy, and lots of joy, that it would make our joy complete, full, brimming over the sides. This fullness of joy comes as a byproduct. That is, the joy comes from something else, from something else. And unless we have that something, our joy will go down, not increase. The something else that increases our joy is koinonia. We can hear it in verse 3. You'll hear it now in the English. Verse 3 says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. Koinonia is the Greek word for what we call Fellowship. So that's what we're unpacking today. We have three questions now about fellowship. First, what is it? Then, who is in it? 
And finally, how do we do it? What is it? Who's in it? How do we do it? Let's look at the first of those. In regard to fellowship, what is it? We should acknowledge up front, at least I think so, uh, that some people, including many Christians, I'd even be in this camp in some ways, think that, that fellowship is a word that can sound artificial, kind of an unnatural word. It, it sounds like it's part of Christian lingo. Like nobody else seems to be talking about fellowship. And yet Christians, you know, we say, oh, let's go to the fellowship hall, or, or we're going to get together for some fellowship. You know, why can't we just be normal people and say we're just going to have a meeting, or we're going to hang out, or, or use some word like that? As it turns out, fellowship isn't just about socializing. Fellowship, at its root, is about a common purpose. That's what it is. It's about a common purpose. So it makes sense that we would need to use a unique word for that. There seems to be only a few other places outside of Christian circles that we tend to hear the word fellowship. I only really hear them in the, in the context of, of university and in the Lord of the Rings, you know, the fantasy book series. So, so at university, if you receive a fellowship, that's money that is granted to you to carry out particular research or study. In The Lord of the Rings, if you're familiar with that series, it's in the name of the first book, The Fellowship of the Ring, where there's this critical task of destroying the one ring before it falls into the hands of the big bad guy. And, and so in, in order to get rid of the ring, they pull together a fellowship uh, made of hobbits and men and a dwarf and an elf and a wizard. Okay? Uh, that's a slightly different than what we do. I, I, I don't know if we have any dwarves or, or wizards among us, uh, but both of those examples in the university and in the Lord of the Rings, those examples are helpful for us to understand what the Bible means about fellowship, that there is a particular goal in mind. That means that fellowship is not just about community. That's become a buzzword, a driving force in many Christian circles. You know, we've got we've to build a sense of community, have a sense of togetherness, to know that we're really in the same boat. That's a good thing. It's a godly thing. It overlaps with fellowship quite a bit. But the focus of fellowship is not just about the togetherness or the group itself. It is more than just community. Fellowship is not also, it's not just coexistence. So that we occupy the same space peacefully. That's what coexistence is. You know, maybe we're neighbors on the same block or maybe we're a family under the same roof and, and we're going to coexist. Now, coexistence is certainly better than, than fighting with each other. We don't really want conflict. But if the only thing a group shares is that they're on the same street, or they have the same last name, or the same roof, and that's it, if that's all that's shared, there is a real 
emptiness in that. If you're in a family that just coexists, you know that that's a sad thing. In coexistence, there's more separation than there is togetherness. And that's not what fellowship is about. Fellowship, as we see it in God's word, is about common purpose. Or we could also use the word partnership. That those who are in fellowship have a partnership. It's not just that they have a task by themselves. And out of that fellowship, out of that partnership, comes a sort of a real unity. There's a real community, communion, if we can call it that, that, that comes through this. And it doesn't happen by just sitting in a circle and staring at each other and smiling. This comes by moving in the same direction. So fellowship tends to be built not face to face, but arm in arm because fellowship is born out of this partnership of common purpose. Now, that's what it is. That's what fellowship is. It's common purpose. Let's look at our second question, which is, who is in it? Who is part of this fellowship that John mentions? Because if you notice, it's not everyone. If we were to read on in John's letter, we would hear in chapter 2, verse 19, John writes, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they, are, they all are not of us. In other words, John says, there are some people who broke fellowship who are not of us. They went a different way. They have a different purpose, not in common with us. And that is true, by the way, for anyone who is not a Christian. Have you heard the phrase, don't be unequally yoked? Pretty common phrase, even outside of Christian circles. It's from the Bible, from 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't be unequally yoked. You know, many people assume that phrase is talking about marriage. And it does apply to marriage, of course. One of the few limits that Scripture puts upon a marriage is that Christians are only supposed to marry other Christians. There's good reason for that. But the phrase about being unequally yoked is not only or even mainly about marriage. It's about all relationships between Christians and others. Let me read the part uh, where John talks about it. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, where is it? Verse 14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? 
Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? You notice here, he doesn't just say that that believers shouldn't fellowship with unbelievers. He says that by our very nature, we don't. We don't fellowship with unbelievers. We can't. Now, that doesn't mean we can't socialize with people outside the church. Of course, I hope you do. It doesn't even mean that you can't be close friends with unbelievers. I hope you are. It doesn't mean that you can't work together, have some sort of business partnership, maybe even many important shared goals. Surely you can do that. But what it does mean is in a larger sense, Christians and non-Christians are not moving in the same direction. We do not share the same ultimate common purpose. We are oxen who are pulling in different directions. And if you were to try to yoke those two oxen together, all it's going to do is just destroy the cart and the yoke and cause a lot of pain to the oxen. So, if people who are not Christians are not part of this fellowship, then who is part of the fellowship? John talks about this in a few places. At the beginning of verse 3, he says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. So we've got a few parts in there. We've got the we, the us, that John's talking about. That is, this includes John and and all of those who were the eyewitnesses of Jesus, the ones who proclaim him and testify to his life. They have fellowship. They are pulling with a common purpose. And he now says, I want you, Christians, to have fellowship with us. You notice, this does not say that all Christians are automatically in this sort of fellowship. He's writing to you Christians to call you into that so that we and you would have fellowship together. But it's more than just we and you. There's even another component to this that's amazing if we were to keep reading in verse 3. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So those who are in fellowship are the us, the you, and God. The Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. This is the sum of the Christian life. To have fellowship with God. That's part of what Jesus prayed for us on the night before he was crucified, that we would all be one. The Father and the Son, the Son and the Father, and us in them. And this is the way to make our joy complete, that we'd be joined in fellowship with other believers, but more than that, that we would be joined in fellowship with God, that we would become partners in his common purpose. 
now, we come to our third and final question. How do we do it? How do we actually enact this fellowship? We know as a baseline that we, that we have to be to be Christians to have the sort of fellowship that John writes about. You cannot fellowship with God and with other believers apart from the grace of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Which means that if there is anyone here who is not a Christian, that is, you know in your heart that you do not believe and trust in Christ, the first step to fellowship is to repent to turn from your sin, to acknowledge your rebellion before God and ask Jesus for grace to cleanse you of sin and to give him, to give you his spirit that he would be the new ruler of your life. If that's not already true of you, the hope of fellowship is lost before it's even begun. I need to just be honest with you about that. Now, that's not true of most or maybe all of us. If you, listening here now, are a believer in Jesus, if you are one who is saved by grace through faith, how then do you enter into this call to fellowship? Since we know that fellowship is about a, a shared common purpose, we need to know what the particular purpose is here. That's how we're able to enter into it, to join that common purpose. We need to identify the purpose. And I think it will help us to see fir first what the common purpose is not, at least as John writes. The common purpose is not. The shared common purpose that John is talking about here is not to just find fellowship. I know that sounds strange. You've been talking about fellowship the whole time. The point isn't just find fellowship. Because the nature of fellowship is that it's built on something outside of itself. Some people think that fellowship is its own goal. Some people think that the meaning of life is to find meaning in life. That the purpose of life is to find purpose in life. You know, no wonder these people never find what they're looking for. Because that approach is a path that just continually loops back on itself. Sends a person going round and round and round, wearing a hole in the carpet on the floor, trying to find a purpose. The common purpose that we're to share is not just find fellowship. It's also not to proclaim Jesus. That's not the common purpose. It's not to proclaim Jesus. We can certainly share about Jesus with other people. I hope you do. That's a good thing. But that's not what John is calling us to share in. John proclaims Jesus as an eyewitness to him. He saw him with his eyes, heard him with his own ears, touched him with his own hands, and we have not experienced that. If the call into fellowship was to call us to proclaim Jesus as one that we ourselves have seen, touched, heard, if we did that, that would make us liars. We have experienced him secondhand through others. So the common purpose that we share is not to proclaim Jesus. And finally, it is not. The common purpose we share is not just to get saved. 
If you sat and listened to some preacher's talk, you might think from hearing them that to get saved is the whole goal of life. That you're just supposed to receive Jesus in your heart, you get saved from hell, the end. Surely we recognize that there is much more to life than that. You know, let me be clear. We do need to be saved from hell. We do need to be saved from God's wrath against sin. We do need to put trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives. We know that the saving work of Jesus is finished. It's complete. There's nothing left to add to it that adds to our salvation. But if get saved, if that's all there is to the Christian life, there would be no need for most of the Bible. You can just toss out huge parts of God's word. And there would be no need for John to write this letter. He's writing to Christians who already are saved, calling them into fellowship. So the fellowship that he calls us to is not to add to our salvation. That's already done by Jesus. But the fellowship does add to our joy. The fellowship strengthens our union with God and our union with each other. So how do we do it? You know, if we know that the common purpose isn't just find fellowship, it's not just proclaim Jesus, it's not just get saved, what is it that we share in common that would bring us into fellowship? Let me read a couple verses See if you can hear it. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The way to have fellowship, the how in this, is to practice the truth or to walk in the light or, if we can put it another way, to live holy lives. That's what he wants from you. Now, holiness is not something that God is seeking in himself. God is always holy. He is never more or less holy. He is light. He is always walking in the light. But it is something that God is seeking to do in us. And by God's Spirit, we can join in his purpose in that. To seek after godliness ourselves. To grow in the graces of love, justice, generosity, peace, forgiveness, sacrifice, and all the rest. 
And then also to confess our sin, to to put to death the, the sin that remains in us, to put out envy and grumbling and lies and lust. All of this, as we continue to pursue holiness, we'll find that we have fellowship. You'll be able to look to the, to the right and to the left and see others that are walking alongside of you pursuing holiness too. And we'll have fellowship with God to be more like God, to know him as he is. That's a sort of fellowship that brings real joy. Now I know that for some people, this isn't quite the answer we, we maybe are hoping for. You know, if the way we have fellowship is to pursue holiness, you know, that's not as tangible as some people might like it to be. And we just have to deal with that on one hand. Uh, On the other hand, if you need something that's a little more hands-on, that's got a little bit more skin on it, we can see the way that holiness actually played out in the fellowship of the early church. We hear this at the end of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Listen to how fellowship looked for them. Uh, We hear, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That is, in their fellowship, they devoted time and energy to listen to the apostles' teaching, to actually share food and meals with other believers, and to pray together. I know that's not new or groundbreaking, but that is good soil. Ground to grow holiness in. But before we just set off to to work on it, I'm going to go get me some fellowship. It would be good for us, as we end here, to just pause and, and for a moment take stock of our pursuits. If fellowship is really about common purpose and what we're striving after, then then what is the main purpose that you're striving after? Is, Is the main focus of your days just to get to your retirement? Is it just to get your kids raised into adults? Is it just to have a nice, quiet home? Just to have some fun? Just to get educated? Just to find some people who are like you with similar politics or personality or profession? You know, there's good place for all of those, but, but those things will not make your joy complete. They won't. You were made for more. You were made for a life of holiness in God. And if you want the joy of fellowship with others and with God, we must seek to walk in the light as he is in the light. Pray with me. Lord, 
would you grant us this desire that we would long to seek holiness. Help us to see the great worth that godliness is and to pursue it by your spirit. Would you unite us in these things? Give us a common purpose of fellowship that would make us a people who are rich and full of joy. Lord, by your wisdom and grace, would you work this in us? We trust you and love you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.